a.m. East Lansing. You are listening to Impact Izzo, the student voice of Michigan State University basketball. Bringing you news, updates, and more. I'm proud of myself to be here relevant. Yeah, it's snow outside. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to the Impact Izzo, your one and only source for Michigan State men's basketball, brought to you by Impact 89 FM WDBM, a part of the Impact Sports Podcast Network. You know it's me. I'm back. Same voice as always. Julian Mitchell in the hot seat for this one, joined in studio by two special guests. Got a little bit of a switch up. I'm, I'm not joined by the usual cast of characters, but two two new faces. We'll start with the man to my left here in Studio H, the one, the only Detroit Lions superfan, Trent Bally. I'm glad that's my... Uh, my introduction, you know, that's I, I I take some pride in that. I'm not gonna lie, but thank you for having me on. No Appreciate problem. it. It's gonna no be problem. fun. Glad to have you here. But yeah, I feel like that just captures you. Yeah, a little bit. You know, if, it, you, had to, if you had to model nice me up, it would be Honolulu Blue, and yeah, <laughs> that's probably about as as good as we can get. Here we go. And then the guy to my right over here in Studio H, you know him. You hear him on uh, Spartan Red Zone. That's not there anymore, but they'll come back when the season starts. The one, the only, Kyle Turk. Yeah, then first of all, I was gonna say that's I don't know if that's a moniker you necessarily want. You know, you don't put it on your tombstone. Oh, I know. Yeah, but I mean, hey, <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse. I like it though. Exactly. He yeah. take he takes pride in it, and when you know they turn around and maybe like a hundred years and win a Super Bowl, Trent's gonna be the last one standing. Did you know that with this this taping today, this is my first ever impact his own taping. I will wow. I will now have been on every single current. Available podcasts in the Impact uh, Network. He's the Swiss Army knife of Impact Sports. Red Zone. I was on a couple episodes of Behind the Mask. Uh, I guess Motown Rundown. I have not been on yet. I was gonna. I was because Ryan's been doing it for longer uh, than I've been there. Was so I, I was on that? Guess was I on that last year? That's tough. But then, tough, uh, Warning Track, the baseball one. I mean, I've I finally did it. You've made I, the rounds. I, I've, the full circle has come to, come to completion. Well, I feel honored. That your we're, first impact is on taping is with me. We're making this is big. we're making podcasting history. I think. Oof. I think. I love to hear it. Put us up there with Bill Simmons as the great podcasters of this day and age. I don't know. It's just history. I'm doing well, by the way. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah. I'm doing fantastic. Friday. It's a little cold outside. I think it's it's it, oh, it feels goodness. like negative a hundred right now. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty I, icy. I, too. I don't know how much else we can say about it. It's not great. It not at not at all. Not at all. But you know what is pretty great, or at least pretty great for the players? Michigan State has continued their winning streak, and we have a couple of games to go over that they've played so far, starting with Michigan State at the Breslin Center, routing number 13 Maryland on their home floor, 69-55 to the final score in that game. A couple of key stats, Cassius Winston once again filling it up, 14 points, 7 assists, 5 of 13 from the field, 1 of 7 from beyond the arc, and a guy who we haven't seen at the top of the scorers list in quite a while, Kenny Goins, 14 points for himself to go along with 12 rebounds, a little double-double with Sheev for the guy Kenny Goins, 6-12 from the field, 2-5 from deep. Three other Spartans finish in double figures, Aaron Henry, 12, McQuaid, 10, Xavier Tillman with 10 as well, and for Maryland, their high point man was Aaron Wiggins with 15 points, 6 rebounds, 5-13 of from the field, 5-9 of from three, and... Guys, I'm going to just start it off with, I think this was another pretty impressive win for Michigan State. Without Langford, 
Uh, Arns comes back and plays a couple of minutes in this game. They're finding different ways to win, and I thought this was probably one of the more evenly matched teams they could have faced at this point. This was maybe the most different way to win because you got zero points from your second best player. And Nick Ward uh, foul trouble early, foul trouble right after halftime. Never really got in the flow of things, uh, especially offensively. Ended up with no points on, I think it took three shots. And really, I mean, the the heroes of the game really weren't on the interior. Kenny Goins had a, had a good game, productive game. But Xavier Tillman came in, played some good minutes on, on Bruno Fernando. Uh, but Thomas Kithier, I think, changed the game of all people late in that first half. It was tight for most of that first half. And then the little run they went on at the end of that first half with Kithier involved on both ends of the court. It, it, if, if a team like at Maryland comes into the Breslin, they expect to get beat by Nick Ward. They expect to get beat by a little bit Tillman to an extent. They don't expect you to go four men down the, down the bigs lineup and get beat there. Mm-hmm. And that's what head coach Mark Turgeon from Maryland kind of said post-game was they keyed in on Winston, Ward, all of those guys, and they wanted the foreman, who was Kenny Goins, to beat them. And Kenny Goins ended up with 14 points. You talk about Xavier Tillman, who played well. They got beat by guys who you don't expect to beat them. And I think this show is kind of the – I mean, I don't think Michigan State has necessarily the number of guys that they want, but the quality of guys they bring in off the bench is, is pretty solid. Well, you guys you guys basically covered it. You know, Kithier and also uh, Gabe Brown. Uh, uh, who am I thinking? Aaron Henry. They, they gave you some really solid minutes, you know what I mean? And then the Spartans offense in terms of just creativity, trying to figure out how to win, you know, depending on how you view Cassius, you're missing your first and second. I mean, in this game, Nick Ward, not productive because of foul trouble, but you're still without Langford. So th- this kind of win, and the Spartans were so hot from three early, that really helped propel them into a comfortable position to sort of keep that lead and protect that and maintain throughout the game. And uh, it, the, for me, it's the defense. That's what's really standing out to me during this win streak. This wasn't even their best offensive game by any stretch. Yeah, not but, by any not means. But the way Maryland had been playing offensively lately, they went in there and, I mean, we're going to hit on it, but the two main guys from Maryland, uh, Anthony Cowan and then Bruno Fernando, off nights from them. And and that'll go a long way, but I, for me, it was a lot on the defense event, just mm-hmm. individual matchups, all playing well. Tillman held in check, and then... Winston with some excellent defense on Cowan, who Winston not not known as a defensive guy, but uh, put in quite the effort defensively. Yeah, that's the thing that's I think impressed me the most with this team is by far losing Langford and Arns. Clearly, you can see with each and every game they've been out, the offense hasn't been perfect. But what's rising to the occasion now is the defense, and I I, I want to ask you guys with Arns now back. Langford a threat of coming back pretty soon. Where do you see this team? I mean, their defense is about as good as their offense at this point. And with Langford and Arns, I think that just adds to the offensive depth that they have. I'm looking at where Michigan State sits right now and all the other teams in the nation, they get Langford back. What what's kind of where do they go? Well, the 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 thing is with this team, I and I've always thought this, they've given me no reason this season to believe that they can't beat anybody with Josh Langford. You know what I'm saying? When they get Josh Langford back, that's, you know, that's a that's another 18, 16, 17 points that you're not getting right now. And then you you slide that in, you get to have more depth, you know, guys like Kenny Goins and uh and and Aaron Henry, they can come off the bench maybe and you you depending on who you want to start still, but um it's it's interesting this year because coming into the year, Duke was the big, you know, that mm-hmm. was the talk. That was the cream of the crop. 
and now you're starting to see that they're beatable. And a team like Michigan State, with all this depth, I think that's going to be the biggest thing in the defense, too. This is a team, to me, that is not peaking too early. It's uh, it, Tom Izzo's got them coached up pretty well. I think the Spartans, with a healthy Langford and a deep rotation, can beat almost anybody in the country. We'll see. You do kind of wonder. I mean, they don't feel like they've played their best game yet, but these second-half performances, night after night, the, the, each second half in these last, what, month, they've been better than the last. Ohio State, mm-hmm. you think they were down at half. Uh, we'll get to Iowa in a second, but these performances, teams can't hang with MSU. Running running the ball in transition, uh, it took them about 20, 25 minutes, maybe, maybe 18 or so, given that a lot of those buckets in that first half run were transition buckets. But, I mean, I don't know if MSU's played their best game yet. I don't even know what it would look like because they're, they've been able to exactly. win games so many different ways. Mm-hmm. So many different ways to win games. And you talk about running in transition, 29 fast break points for Michigan State in this win over Maryland. And that was one of the big things that the Maryland players talked about where they just got tired. Michigan State ran it down their throats. And a big part of the reason Michigan State is able to get out and run so well is because of the play of Cassius Winston. And this is a guy who we've talked about him a lot on the podcast. He gets talked about a lot nationally at this point as he's having pretty much a, a Big Ten player of the year, even top nationally point guard season of the year for him. And a question that I, I kind of have, Nick Ward has has been the face of Michigan State basketball, at least without Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson and those guys, for a little bit now. I mean, you used to go back to the Champions you Classic so? at this part of the season. You think so? At least I think at this part of the season, or at least, excuse me, at the Champions Classic, it was Nick Ward. I felt like Cassius was also with him, but Cassius was kind of supposed to be the Robin to Nick Ward's post-up game dominance. Well, the other thing is, you know, Nick Ward, not that this matters a ton, but going to the NBA Combine and coming back and exactly. everything, you know, he's one that you're looking at to go to the pros or he's hoping to, you know. So, yeah, I would I, I would agree with you, but I, I, I think Cassius is right there with him. I don't, this team doesn't even have a number one scoring option because the way they pass the ball, you can get looks for any guy on the court. And I don't know if if they've had a team that's really done that in such a long time, the ball movement has been so good offensively in, in, in tough moments. I think if it gets to crunch time in these, in these later stages of the season, obviously the ball is going to be in Cassius's hands, but transition, they, they score so many different ways. Uh, the way they see the court, uh, even in the half court sets has been, has been so good that, I mean, you can run with them, even if you can run with them for 30 minutes, 35 minutes, they can hang in games with defense. I, I don't know. I feel like I'm really being complimentary to this team because they're so good. I they I was reading off uh, the the Diamondback is Maryland student paper. Mm-hmm. There I'm reading off his Slack screen because he's talking with the other guys on the basketball uh, team beat. He just goes, Michigan State's just like good. There's they they didn't have really uh, they hadn't really seen anything like that, and I don't think. On both sides of the ball, this team is is in such a good spot, and I still think there is a little bit of room to grow once mm-hmm. Langford comes back. Yeah, that's that's really to me the crazy thing is that you go into this matchup with Maryland, 
Maryland, a very hot team. They at this point, at that point, number thirteen in the country. Did they deserve to be ranked thirteen? Maybe not. I think they're a really great team. They're well, regardless, a talented team. Regardless, top to bottom, it's a really, it's a good, solid, athletic Big Ten team. So in, in coming into the Breslin, exactly. you know, it was up in the air a little bit with how this game was going to go. And and don't get me wrong, it was within ten for most of that second half. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it, t- it took until about what two minutes left, and the back to back layups from Henry and Winston pretty much put it on ice. Yeah, and yep. I mean that's the thing is Maryland's what third best team in the Big Ten right now. Yeah, yeah, Probably. and and they walked into the Breslin. They they got beat by what fifteen, fourteen, and you can still kind of feel like, hey, they didn't play that poorly. I think the thing, that's a, that's I think, a whole lot about MSU. I think the thing for me, and I I think it does say a whole lot about MSU is that they came in and this team was supposed to give them a run for their money. Yeah, and there hadn't still, been a team. Nebraska was supposed to do it. They shut down the best players for Nebraska. And then Anthony Cowan comes in. He struggles, supposed to dominate his matchup against Cassius Winston. He was averaging like 20 points coming into this game. 3 of 12. 3 of 12 shooting. Bruno Fernando was solid, 12, 4 for 8. But pretty much him fighting with Nick Ward and Xavier Tillman for position eliminated him for parts of the game. This, this was a good... And the thing is, even against a team that's as good as Maryland, all it is in the Big Ten, if you win at home, you're just holding serve. It's, it's not a big statement. It's not a big deal because... If you're going after this Big Ten title this year, the conference is so good. There are places where you can slip up. Any win at home is just, hey, you did your job. What else you got for me? Exactly. And I don't want to hover on this game for too much longer, but one thing I do want to get to before we move on is the play of Aaron Henry. For for me, this felt like Aaron Henry's breakout game. This was the first, I think, the, the first time I've been listening to the moving screen, uh, Brendan Quinn and I, Dylan, Burkhart. The, Dylan Burkhart. Dylan Burkhart. Hoops. Both, uh, both are on that podcast, and a lot of things they talk about constantly is, at least Brendan as well, is Aaron Henry's breakout game and pretty much him waiting for Henry to get double-digit points. And this was the game, 10 points for Aaron Henry. He was everywhere on the floor. And for me, I really think the sky is the limit for this kid, this guy. Excuse me, I shouldn't say kid. He's not a kid. He's the same age as me. But this is a guy who his athleticism, his ability to get to the rim, his perimeter defense – he is really improving right in front of our eyes. And I want to ask you guys kind of what are you seeing from him at this point? And with Arns and Langford both coming back pretty soon, where do you see him slotting in in the rotation? It's been pretty interesting because the the injuries almost necessitated him to take the leap he has. Mm-hmm. And you you wonder, I, I did not expect this from him when I saw the Aaron Henry that I saw in, conference, in non-conference play, in, in the blowouts against you know your Tennessee Techs, whoever else. You didn't really expect this. And to see him come in and, and be a, such a two-way guy, mm-hmm. he can get it done defensively, he can thing. stay in the game for these long stretches, and you really don't feel like there's that much of a drop-off because all you got to do is slide Matt McQuaid down, and you, you really, offensively, he understands the flow of the offense, has good vision, uh, knows when to make the right pass. For a freshman, a lot of freshmen come in, and they're willing to do, and they think they've got to take every shot and, and make every play. He understands his role already, and for a freshman, that's pretty. He seems like a mature guy. You, t- you talk to him after games; he seems mm-hmm. like he understands his role on the team. He understands the situation as well as he can. And and to me, I almost wonder what do you do with his minutes once Langford's fully healthy? Because McQuaid's giving you some solid games, but he's not a world beater. And I, I Henry does have that potential. I'm not I'm not suggesting any moves. But it is worth having the debate because he's playing out of his mind right now uh, on both ends of the court. 
The thing with Henry, he's so athletic, and you you touched on it. It's it's his IQ. His he plays smart basketball. You know, and just in this game, he had twelve point six rebounds. But you move past that, six of seven shooting, four assists to one turnover. That that's just that that's such solid bat in twenty six minutes, and that's a guy who stepped it. This was his first game starting the Breslin, I believe, stepping into that role. And and after after the game, like you said, I had the privilege to talk to him. So excited, just really happy. He's just so so just honored almost to be able to do his job, do it right, step in even when this team's undermanned. That's something you like to see. And like you said, it's going to be interesting because in in any other circumstance, you know, he's earning his minutes, no doubt. He so, he, he fits so well into the lineup without Langford on the court mm-hmm. that it, that you almost do kind of wonder how how Izzo plays this once Langford's fully back because right. there's. There's a debate to be had. He he does so many different things well that I almost wonder if even once Langford comes back, you know, we know how the injury will affect him, first of all. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And there is a chance that perhaps MSU's best lineup, now that Langford's been hurt for so long and it might take a while to get back into 100% shape, maybe that lineup with McQuaid at the two and Henry at the three is their best lineup. It's it's a it's a it's a debate to be had. It's definitely a debate to be had. And well, just I was just gonna say what you have now that the fact that you have this insurance of Henry, you know, breaking out in a game like this, you you can throw him out there and put Langford on a pitch count when he comes back. You know what I mean? You can sort of keep your eye on that kind of thing. You don't have to worry about oh, we got to get Josh out there, we got to get him going because you have a little bit of a safety blanket in Aaron Henry. It's it's very big for head coach Tom Izzo to have guys like this that he can work around with, easing Langford back into play. But either way, a solid all-around game for Michigan State against Maryland. With that win, they improved to 17-2 and on the season, 8-0 and in conference play, beating Maryland at home. Next game following that, Michigan State headed back on the road, traveling to Iowa City for a revenge matchup, at least for the Hawkeyes. Uh, Michigan State played Iowa earlier on in the season, one of the, the early Big Ten games, and, I mean, they completely destroyed the Hawkeyes when they came to Breslin Center. 90-68 to was the score in that last matchup, and Michigan State travels on the road. Big game for Iowa. They tried to pack Carver-Hawkeye Arena as much as they could, and Michigan State got the season series sweep, defeating Iowa 82-67. Winston leading the way, 23 points, 7 assists, 6-14 from the field, 3-5 from three-point range. Nick Ward, after going scoreless against Maryland, comes back with 21-10. and and then Iowa's Luka Garza, their high point man with 20 points, three rebounds, eight of 14 from the field, one of two from three. And guys, I, I, I've seen a lot of people kind of tweet their reactions to this game. And a lot of people have been very impressed with Michigan State's play. And I, I do think Michigan State was impressive once again, finding another way to win. But for me, a lot of the reason, uh, the storyline I take from this game is that Iowa had their boot right on Michigan State's throat and just couldn't finish the job. And against a team like Michigan State, it's the one thing you can't do. You better you better make sure that it, you better twist the knife, do what you got to do, and, and get out of there with your win. Because, as we mentioned, this team has so many different ways to score, so solid defensively in, in most situations. I think Iowa, towards the end of that first half, we're getting open a little bit from the three area, and that's usually not something that they've had to struggle with this mm-hmm. year, MSU defensively. All you got to do is make a couple adjustments in the in the, the halftime locker room if you're in MSU, and if team if a team like Iowa isn't willing to go and beat you, shoot, you've you're too talented not to put yourself in the position to win. Yeah, it, it in in comparison to the Maryland game, 
this was more of your just this was more of Spartan basketball, just what we what we're accustomed to seeing. You know, Nick Ward coming back. You we we knew he was gonna do better than he did in the last game, but twenty one and ten, that's really solid. And when you have a point guard like Cassius, who who, by the way, turn in <clears throat> excuse me, turn in a great game, uh, you know, you you basically read his stat line. That you he the IQ of Cassius Winston has allowed Tom Izzo to allow his team to play through some adversity. Don't have to panic. Don't have to freak out. And in a place like Iowa, you know, that's a pretty hostile environment in terms of a Big Ten crowd who loves loves their Hawkeyes. It's a completely different team at home. Yeah, it is. Completely. They're 11-1 and one, or now 11-2 and two. at Carver Hawkeye Arena. They shoot a blazing field goal percentage when they're at home at, I believe, like 48% from the field, right. like 38% from three-point range. When they're at Carver Hawkeye, they came off a game, they shot like 60%. So basically, they just play much better at home than anything. And for Michigan State to kind of do this after a pretty poor first half, I mean, they shot 38% from the field, 10 turnovers in the first half. To come back for a second half, Cash Swinson especially with nine points, just two of eight. And then he comes in, puts in 14 in the second half, four to six from the field, three to three from deep. He was the catalyst for what led a big second half for Michigan State. That's what you love to see from your point guard. You know, he's leading the charge. It's just like what we've seen in years past with guys like Denzel Valentine who played point forward and Travis Trice and even Keith Affling sometimes. You know what I mean? These are things that you like to see. That's Spartan basketball. And you basically talked about how Iowa's a different team at home. You know, you saw Michigan State basically blow, blow the doors off in, uh, in the Breslin Center against them. And while this game, in a, in a box score, if you just take a look, wasn't very close, but it was a close game. You know what I mean? It was a competitive game. The Spartans had to really get their crap together at halftime and come out and, and, and take this one from the Hawkeyes. So I was really impressed with this game, top to bottom. It was a good team win. It's a lot more what we're accustomed to seeing, and I think it's a lot more what we can get used to seeing in the future from this team. 51 points in the second half. And, and Huge. The, the, the transition game, the running game, came back for this one. I think especially in that second half. The first half had to struggle, had to get into the half court every now and then. Iowa, you know, the energy. Of course, they're going to bound to come out and, and play a certain way defensively. But another situation where MSU just wears a team down little by little and makes makes it work. And in this game, I think more than anything else is just MSU stuck with their game plan, uh, made the adjustments they needed to, and really Iowa did lose this game as much as MSU wanted because you're up by I think they were up by eight in the second half, just mm-hmm. into the second half. Do something, go and go and take advantage and use your crowd, use whatever you've got. MSU found their way back in. I don't think it was cold shooting, and, and it was just reverting to the mean. If you're MSU, they just started to get the looks they wanted. Transition played well. Nick Ward started running a little bit more too. Got easy buckets that way. Ward, I think, had the kind of game you'd want him to come back with. He, he didn't try to do anything too crazy. Had his double double, twenty one ten. It just felt all natural, and that's the thing about this team is it all just feels like it's clicking into place. Mm-hmm. It really does, and to. To kind of cite what you said, I think it's the blessing and the curse of, of being at home. I think Iowa came out very strong, a lot of energy. They were really strong on their double teams early on, forcing turnovers. Tyler Cook got going. Kenny Goins just couldn't contain him at all. He was getting easy looks right over top of Goins. And then they start the second half. Cook gets going a little bit more. Crowd's going. And then Cook starts to miss, it. I think, two to three straight shots that he missed. And the crowd just got really quiet. And then for pretty much that stretch on, Michigan State goes on their run. The crowd is completely out of it. Iowa just lost energy. 
all this shit, well, and offensive struggles might have left over too because if you create 10 turnovers in the first half, you should know what works. You should be able to, of course, I'm going to try to take care of the ball a little bit more, but you can still play aggressively defensively. Uh, Xavier Tillman, I think, was in foul trouble a little bit. Yeah, he, he had, I think, two early fouls in the yeah. first half. And then I think Ward even had a couple of fouls in that first half, too. Yeah, Ward and, had and, two in the first half. And then had you had to survive to the end with without him. Kithier, I think, also put in a couple of points and a couple of rebounds in that first half. Another situation yeah. where came in and did a job. Yeah. Six points, five rebounds. Yeah. So, I mean, big week for him. Not necessarily, you know, putting up 10, 15-point games, but really just fulfilling a role yeah that was that was the biggest no, no thing. one's even hurt and he's already playing himself into that yep, fourth spot exactly and it, it all started with Maryland I mean I, I I called my dad while watching the game and he you know some of the players he knows some guys he doesn't because they don't play that much and he calls and he's like who is this guy checking in it's like oh, that's Thomas Kithier and he was like does he play and I was like well he hasn't really but he played well against Maryland and he's earning time now and he's done it he comes in he's earned his time and I mean at least up until this point he hasn't let Izzo down and Yet. Well, that that's that's the depth factor, you know. You like to see that. Even I keep going back to this. This team's undermanned, so it's about who's stepping up, right? It's next man up. Kithier with four minutes in the Maryland game, four great minutes. You would have thought it was ten, and then in this game, nine minutes. So you are seeing he's earning his earning his minutes. And the bottom line in this game is it doesn't matter if it's defensively or offensively. If you leave the door open for Michigan State, especially on the road, in a place where you know you could live with a loss. Not saying you would ever like be okay with that but I'm just saying you know it's a tough place to play you're playing a good team a good offensive team you left the door open and Michigan State took advantage yeah and that, that's the thing I think this is one where you'd be okay with loss I think I personally have been sitting on when Michigan State will drop one but they keep finding ways to win games and they win a nice one in Iowa solid win and you look around the box score too and really wasn't you know a huge game from much of anyone else McQuaid had his nine uh, Arns had got hurt in the middle of the second half, I believe, and then uh, his status is still, I think, is unclear. Might have tweet that back again, which is something to watch for because I think, the, I think the, it was a it was an ankle. He went for a loose ball and ankle or back. Once he twisted something, yeah, he was running after a loose a little ball, little and yeah, his ankle kind of but st- stagger stepped. That's a little another bit. situation where now you got more Henry minutes coming, and he only had six points last night, but it still felt like his though he was playing solid on both ends of the it's court. It's the energy that you see from him. You know? You're looking like Brown didn't score. Uh, Tillman only had five. Kithier had six. It's really Cassius did his job. Nick Ward hit seven, all seven of his free throws, which, I mean, if you'd have told me that a year ago, I would have laughed right in your face because <laughs> Nick Ward just doesn't hit seven free throws. Can't remember the last time he missed one now. It's It's been a while. It's, He's it's knocking been, it's been about down a week. with regularity. It's been about a week now. So, goodness, I, I wouldn't have... The way that he's changed on just not only everyone wants to talk, oh, went through the process, did the mentality, he's got his mindset now in order. That goes a long way for someone like him. Now that he knows he can come back, come back from a game that he didn't even score in, that's hard for a guy of his level to to not even score in a single game. That, that says a lot exactly. about the mental capacity and the mental toughness that he's shown. And he didn't try to do anything crazy. He, right. got, he got to the rim. Uh, he played his game. Played Let his the game, game come to him. Yeah, exactly. And he's not getting – I mean – a, a scoreless night against Maryland and then coming to Iowa, there would have been a story or a tweet about him and Izzo arguing or Ward upset with how he played. There would have been something come out. But this is quiet night. He realized, I think he's realized his role now. And while I think he wanted to be star guy these last couple of years, he's realized he fits in where he fits in. He's going to get his points. 
and him and Cassius are going to make this work. He's fine. Like he'll he'll be he'll accept being the one B, if that makes sense. Because it does, he, yeah. Because Winston will pull up in transition. He'll he'll get to the rim. He'll do all his different ways of scoring, and the ball movement helps that because we've seen that Winston doesn't necessarily have to be the guy with the ball in his hands in order to create for himself. Mm-hmm. And and I think Ward will be fine. He'll battle for position down low. He'll grab an offensive board every now and then. He picked up ten rebounds total in the, last night, but. It, you look and he just plays his game and everyone else kind of fell in line. Well, another big win for Michigan State on the road, taking on Iowa, improving to 18-2 and with the win, 9-0 and in the conference. And speaking of the conference, we got to look at some Big Ten highlights for this week and this, pa- this week and past week. Indiana continues their fall from Grace, a team who had a lot of hype surrounding them coming into the year. Sitting at just twelve and seven now, three and five in the conference. They have gone five and five over their last ten games. They fell on Tuesday, January twenty second, to Northwestern in Evanston, seventy three to sixty six. Per two straight tough road, uh, very tough. R- results for them, especially losing that game the way they did to Purdue. It was not even close not, for for yeah. large stretches. So that's it's a tough mentality to be in. It well, Purdue too. I I'm I'm just. I mean, you're going to get to this in a second, but Purdue, I'm, I'm, I got an eye on them. I'm just Matt Painter is a great coach. You're a little worried for something. I'm, I'm not. Now? I'm not worried. I'm just. He's I'm, got an eye on. I, I got an eye on wow. Purdue. I got an eye on the Boilermakers. Let me just say. All right. Well, we'll, we'll hear some more when we get to the preview. But speaking of Purdue, Purdue won Wednesday night against Ohio State, 79-67. They've won four in a row now. And on the flip side of that, where is Ohio State going? Ohio State has truly, really struggled, and I don't to go from where they in were their last ten. In, I wonder, uh, yeah, in their last ten, looking at Ohio State, they are five and five as well in their last ten. They're on a five-game losing streak, right back down to earth now that the Big Ten has kind of come calling. And that's the thing is when you don't have the talent that an M- a team like MSU, the team like Michigan does, you have to bring it every single night. You have and, to. just to get results, exactly. And I think that's the way this conference was going to turn out. You look at it preseason and where it is now. Michigan, Michigan State, ahead of the pack. Everyone behind them is just eating themselves, trying to find some scraps. That's that's what it's been this season in conference. And so Purdue winning their fourth in a row there. And then Saturday, the 19th, that was right after we recorded our last pod, uh, Michigan falls to Wisconsin on the road 64-54. This was a big game, Michigan's first loss of the season. And to me, an example of why the Big Ten is so hard. I mean, Wisconsin... They've been a solid team throughout the season, but not knocking anyone's heads or making anyone go crazy. And they come and they beat a good Michigan team on their home floor. And it was another great game for Ethan Happ. Yeah, a good game for Happ. And then um, kind of poor timing for Iggy Brazdakis to uh, to say that he wants Duke and then to go out and score uh, zero points on the road at Wisconsin. And didn't this look like every single Michigan-Wisconsin game at the oh, Cole yes. Center ever? Yes. It's the same exact thing. The same game. Every single I mean, Wisconsin does what other teams wish they could. They come in, they get a tougher opponent, they slow the game down, they work well in the post, they get some fouls. Ethan Happ, for some reason, some way, somehow, still gets his nice twenty and ten and they walk out with a W. I hate playing Wisconsin. That like when the Spartans play just, Wisconsin. Just the idea of doing oh, it. I just I, I just yeah, yeah, I don't like it. And it was I, it was a bigger deal when Bo Ryan was there, but Oh, it's, it's the same gone. kind of idea. It, that's that's what it's I mean. It's the just same kind of idea Wisconsin now. basketball. I, is, yeah, it's never an easy game. Never is. They find their ways to make people go crazy. But Michigan falls, and then Tuesday, January twenty second, 
The Wolverines bounce back with a last-second win at home against Minnesota, 59-57. Charles Matthews with a buzzer beater to win that game for the Wolverines. That was a really tough game for Michigan. Brasdakis kind of, I mean, he was still came out a little bit sloppy and slow to start the game, but he found his way on the scoring total, and I think that was big for the Wolverines. But Minnesota played them pretty That's well. That's the thing is it. it if you're if you're U of M, you're worried because Minnesota had come into that game, I think, on the back of some pretty bad momentum, uh, hadn't got much going, and then it took a, a last second shot from Charles Matthews. I think it was what a tenth of a second before yeah, the buzzer. It was, was, it was, it was off go. the offensive rebound too, wasn't right. it? It wasn't yeah. even and, like a clean yeah. shot. It was just something you know. This, look what I found, and the Wolverines got lucky, for lack of a better word. So, well, I mean, yeah, to put themselves in a position like that, they've. I think this is a situation where they've got to find some other ways to work offensively. Uh, not exactly something we're used to hearing about a John Beeline coach team, but I I also wonder. I hate to say it, but I just don't know if they're the they were the talented enough to be at that number one spot for very long. Even well, if they I, even if they had won that game against Wisconsin, because I just I don't know if they match up with Duke, Virginia, MSU, Tennessee. Teams, even Gonzaga, teams in that top top elite tier. Oh yeah, they play well, pretty. They play together pretty well as a team, but really, I think Jordan Poole is, is one of their most talented offensive players, and he's so inconsistent sometimes. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing, both for Michigan and MSU. I think matchup wise, if we're going player by player, you play a Duke, a Tennessee, they're not matching up with those guys. The difference is going to come down to coaching, and I don't think Michigan would have stayed long. But I do like their team a little bit more to play a Duke against. I think they just have a little bit better coached. I mean, to win yeah, some more games. You think like that. you think about teams in that top top tier. It's yeah. probably the teams we're mentioning. Michigan's right there too, and then I'd say there is a bit of a drop off after maybe Gonzaga. I'm looking. Let's can we look around? Do we have time to look around? We do have time to look around. And while while you're looking around, we'll go to uh, the last one. A game that is set to be played tonight. Michigan goes on the road to Assembly Hall, one of the greatest venues in college basketball, to take on the Indiana Hoosiers. Tonight, 6.30 p.m. tip-off. That's Eastern time, and that'll be broadcasted on Fox Sports 1. I've decided. Those are the six I like because they've all got either one or two losses. Virginia, Duke, Gonzaga, State, Tennessee, and Michigan. I mean, there's a big drop-off. Next team, I'd say, is what? North Carolina? Yeah, North Kentucky, Carolina has, has had their inconsistency. Even this Nebraska is, is kind of right there, but Big Ten's eating them up. Any, no, nothing? Yeah, well, I just, if I can go back to Michigan for a second, mm-hmm. I think what their problem is, is offensively, they're, in, for lack of a better term, I think they're a little predictable. You know, like it's Jordan Poole, and it, it, he's inconsistent, They've like used, you said. Teske has come on a long way. He has, he has come on. That's has, been the biggest all due respect, With all due respect to him, it's just like I don't know how – In I, a couple weeks ago, it was, it was actually last week, I saw a side-by-side of uh, Michigan State and Michigan, like all the advanced metrics. So this is like with less than two games they played now. But Michigan had like the 73rd strength and schedule when they were ranked number one. And you know you haven't played anybody at that point. It's kind of Michigan State was at like twenty four or something like that. I think what Michigan has going for them is their defense. But offensively, I, I'm I'm not that I'm not that afraid of how the Wolverines play on the offensive end. I think that's understandable. I think this slump has has shown some things, but I I, I think of it more as a slump. I think they'll break out of it. I oh, think definitely. is gonna. I, I don't think anybody is going to see him stick in his slump for too long. I think he's going to figure it out. He started to figure it out a little bit against Minnesota. And the thing is. 
a a trip to Indiana might be the one trip you're willing to take right now, given where they're at mentally, because you lose a game like that to Purdue, and then you go and you lose another one to Northwestern. Who Northwestern's kind of an enigma. You you hope you don't lose to a team like Northwestern, but I I think Michigan handles Indiana pretty comfortably. I think so too. I think they get that done. But those are your your Big Ten highlights for this week. Of course, the season's getting pretty close soon to kind of wrapping up. Big Ten conference play is is on its way. The Michigan right in the, th- right in the thick of it. Michigan State matchup is, is on the horizon for a lot of people. I'd say we're right in the thick of Big Ten play. We're we're, we're in the thick of it. Is, it, is gonna... it the grind? Maybe the grind of Big Ten play. I think it, it's the grind because there's still wait. I mean, March is not that far off, but there's still plenty of games there's to play. There's some time. Uh, let's think. They're at nine or ten games played, so they're halfway through the Big Ten schedule. It's 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 been it's been an intriguing been. conference so far. Got some good matchups really coming has. up. Yes, and that's the other thing too. I don't think there were there any season series that have already kind of finished that I can think of. Iowa, right? Iowa's about that's it. That's the only one. But I mean, yeah. there's still for, even for MS, even for just talking MSU, Nebraska still left to play Indiana. Yeah, MSU still has some tough games. Michigan, of course. Like there's there's yeah. a lot of games left where some good teams could lose to each other. But it'll be very interesting. Big Ten, Big Ten conference is really shaking out to to be a very, very tough conference this season. I believe last projections were like 10 teams in the NCAA tournament leading the pack next to the ACC with nine. About, I'd say about seven locks. Yeah, I maybe. think seven locks. Yeah, I would agree with you about seven locks at this point. But either way, conference is really loading, eating itself at this point. A lot of uh, tough games. But moving on to our questions from the Twitter sphere, as I like to call it, starting out with... Our own man, Impact Radio's assistant sports director, Joe Dandron, at Joseph Dandron, MI on Twitter. His question was, realistic expectation if Langford is done for the year? Ah, well, is, is, it, is it the MSU that's figured out how to involve Aaron Henry and play at the level they are right now? Because I'd say, without him, what, what do they really lose when it comes to playing these big teams? Because they've played... Uh, Maryland now, which is kind of a mid-tier mm-hmm. team. I I still like where they're at, even if Langford's gone. I'm not I'm not saying Langford's a bad player. I'm saying that the way Henry has has moved himself into the lineup, the the drop off is not that apparent to me. See. You've bought the Henry stock, so I do have a, another question for you, just to kind of where did you have Michigan State coming into the season? That's the thing is I where you, did you see them? Uh, they are or I guess. A better would be if Langford was still playing now, where would you slot this team? Well, and that was without the big jumps that I think Cassius and, and mm-hmm. Ward have taken. Uh, I had them as a team that would kind of blossom late and become a Sweet 16 Elite Eight okay. type based off of their progression. Yeah. But, but since they're already at the spot they're at, does, I mean, this team, of course, feels like a Final Four team now. Whether we're going to say that again in February or March is another story. Okay, but they're playing. I mean, we can all see it. Yeah, they're playing like a team that has a chance to be special. Mm-hmm. All right, I just wanted to see where because you, you said you don't see a lot changing, especially with Henry. So I just wanted to know where you had them to start the season to see. So they're in that same yeah. projection of Final Four, Elite Eight. Uh, I mean, where? How much are you losing without him on the court? Given given how Henry's played, I think it's understandable. I a think l- Henry's played bit well. Offensively. I I think the off the offense is a big key. I think Henry still kind of needs to develop as a jump shooter. I think his game 
at some points, it'll, it, I want to see it more against some tougher teams. Langford definitely offers you that the outside option. Yeah, and I think that... Even, even more so even more so than McQuaid sometimes. Uh, well, Langford's another Langford, guy to catch and shoot in transition, too. He, That's a big he's thing. Been, yeah. He's been a lot better from outside, like the three area this year. Yeah. Langford has. My area is just, it's hard to for me necessarily right now to 100% gauge this team because they haven't necessarily played a team that's athletic enough necessarily to keep up with them. Right. Like, I still, I like that they're, you know, going out winning Big Ten games, Maybe but I haven't skill. seen a Duke or a team that, like, yeah. that's going to match up a little bit better. And I think it's, Michigan is going to be the big, the it, biggest test. It's tough to find a team like it, it that, really that, is, that, yeah. that's really going to put you in that spot. But, it, yeah, that's kind of the thing is where it's just, like, tough to see when it comes tournament time if they have to play someone a little bit bigger that they haven't seen before. What that matchup shakes out. You to also be. wonder what kind of team would they get if they were going to play in a Sweet Sixteen, mm-hmm. uh, in, in an Elite Eight, if that were to come to. I yeah. mean, do we consider the matchups like a, definitely coming? Do we play. consider someone like Nebraska or Maryland a Sweet Sixteen team right now? Right. And I guess that's that's, that's kind a of discussion exactly. that yeah you have to have. Yeah. For me, what it is is this team. Like, look, without without Josh Langford, this team looks great. Right. They do look really good. They have they they have pulled out. A lot of good wins without him on the road, you know, close wins against Nebraska, uh, getting it done against Iowa, it, just all these, everything that's happening in the past month, just to me, they look like a really good team. I'm banking, I, like, I, I don't think it's, I guess I'm a little more optimistic. I don't, I'm not too concerned about Langford not coming back. I think he will. And then I think that's going to just, the only thing that's going to do is it's going to help you. It's going to provide more depth. It's going to allow guys like Aaron Henry to, maybe be a second option on the depth chart, something like that. And then that's somewhere where you can sort of look from there and go, okay, can we get to a Final Four? And I believe this team could. So to answer the question, realistic expectation, if Lankford is done for the year, I still think it's a good team. It's just going to depend on, like you said, Turk, the matchups and things like that. Who do we consider to be a Sweet 16 team from the Big Ten, who we've played, and is sort of like for perspective to look at some things. But I don't know. Even without Lankford, it's a pretty good team. But with Lankford, look out. Yeah, I, for me, I, I have them a game short. I think with Langford, I like him a little bit more as a Final Four team. I think Winston, just with the minutes he's playing and the way they have to run, a little bit better of an offensive threat as a backcourt mate would be a better thing for him to have. And I think Langford also offers kind of an, an area of ball handling and skill and just a little bit more maturity that I think will be will be big going down this stretch. So I think without Langford in Elite Eight, let, let's we'll probably be where let's I also go. remember that the tournament is an absolute crapshoot. Oh yeah, it is. And, and you can't and you, you can you can say, hey, they look like a Final Four team, but they still have to go out there and win the games. Yeah, that's why we. It, that's last why year was a Final games. Four team, yeah. and the year before in, in twenty fifteen. Well, twenty fifteen was a Final Four team. That we was saw. A, yeah. That well, twenty fourteen. You ran into UConn, and you right. know you run into a team that gets hot. It's a team of destiny, and that one's even tough. Yeah, that's a that's a. I mean, and they also there's no doubt way you win tournament a lot is guards and defense, and UConn that year was just they they were set up. And for me, this MSU team reminds me the most of that twenty fifteen team in the terms of the way they move the ball and can score offensively. Yeah. So I'm I'm hedging my bets because I know I saw what happened in twenty fifteen. And I'm not. I'm not going to get burned again. I'm not going to. I'm not going mi- to count any chickens before they hatch because I thought that team was a legit national title contender. Great use of the idiom. I love it. That was perfect. It's nice. This is why a guy's been on all the podcasts. Yeah. I mean, this is why he's call, the Swiss Army. They knife call me the Swiss Army knife for the, the reason. Swiss yeah. Army knife. Oh my goodness. Uh, and this was a Twitter question we didn't get to in the last episode. Not really going to answer it, but I want to give the guy a shout out because he did tweet it at us. Brendan Wilner 
at B underscore wellness 16. He asked who has the best style out of all of you. I think we already know the answer, so I'm just going to move on to the next question. It's a better question for when Amanda's around. Well, I mean, it's obviously me, even when she's here. So, hmm. I mean, Well, we'll make sure she doesn't hear this bit. <laughs> but to a bigger question, one that was tweeted to me earlier in the week, uh, Tino Abarca, he, he texted me, he's like, Julian, let me know next time Impact is on recording, I, I got cues. I was like, I say no more, say less. And he asked me to ask all of you and bring it on the podcast, first, how do you assess Matt McQuaid's career to this point? That's a loaded question. It's it a, is a, it's a very a, it's loaded It's a good question. thought provoker. I'm, I'm glad he would ask something like this because, luckily, I think, other than maybe Joey Ellis and I, we're the only couple people who have seen McQuaid's entire career, and we remember, you know, Champions Classic, his freshman year against Kansas, that big shot. That was the game I was going to talk about right, right there. And look, he's kind of been overshadowed because he's not a five-star guy. He's not Josh Langford. He's not the McDonald's All-American. He's a four-star guy coming out of Texas. Shooting guard. I don't know how you really quantify a top 85, top 100 recruit in the context of you know the Big Ten, the national scene. We haven't really seen him play uh, a big-time role in a big-time game, if that makes sense. You know, you, mm-hmm. when you when you put him in that tournament game in 2015 as a freshman, still comes off the bench in 2016, 2017. Now he's kind of at that starting role, and you you kind of think to yourself, well, he's had a decent career, but I think I would say he's had a successful one. If he goes into the the conference tournament, national tournament this year, hits a couple of shots big time, because I think MSU trusts him at the end of the shot clock if need be. If if the the plays for Winston aren't quite running, I would say you know McQuaid's as good a bet as any of them. Well, my opinion, whenever I'm asked these kinds of questions, I like to – well, I do think it is important to talk about the expectations coming in. You know, I don't really like to look at that a whole lot because you never know. You know, so it, and we see it happen across all sports. You never know. So just taking a look at what is, McQuaid has been great for what he does on the team, what, what he needs, what, what Tom Izzo needs him to do, right? He shoots threes, he plays efficient defense, he draws charges. You know, so it's just – I if you're going to look at his career and you're going to talk about his like legacy, so to speak, or like, yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't hit a whole lot of big shots. So I guess that would, that would aid him going forward. But in terms of just like, how would I assess his career? I think he's been very successful here at Michigan state. And what the other thing is there, there aren't that many stats for defensive performances, right. like the ones he's had, especially so far in college. And and he has really transit transformed his defensive game. Yeah. Uh, if if there was a way to calculate some sort of defensive stat that showed people, hey, this guy's a big time, you yeah. know, top fifteen defender He's in the a nation. Stopper. Yeah, they would love him, and I think that's the kind of one thing that might get kind of lost in the shuffle. Admit, oh, well, he was supposed to come right. in and be this fifteen point a game scorer and outside shooter extraordinaire. He hits forty percent from the outside, right? right? Forty forty four percent somewhere in there. So yeah, that was the stat I was going to hit on. So. I, I agree with both of you. I think it has been a successful for career for Matt McQuaid to be kind of a player like him, come into this big program of Michigan State and grow and become a very uh, linchpin type player piece. for this team. He's just he's solid. an important piece. He's very, he's solid. very solid. And I think the thing that gives him a lot of a lot of hate from a lot of people is one, the defensive stats don't get measured, so you don't get to see numbers wise how he does defensively. 
But the three-point shooting has, has it, had its moments. He's had games where he's been completely off. He had a season in 2016 where he shot 35%, which is a decent percentage, but as a sharpshooter when it's your role, it is a bit of a lackluster stat, and I think that's where he gets some. But at now, a 42% three-point shooter. With the defense that he brings, I think you look at where he started up to where he's come. This is a guy who has put on the green and white, played his heart out, and developed into a pretty good player. If if he was the one that was hurt for all this time, and Josh Langford was the one who would play, is MSU a better team? I don't know. That's a great question. Defensively, it's what they bring to the table. Is I think so de- different. De- defensively, no. Do they play at the same level? Do they lose? I mean, I I I think he is such an important piece to this team. Yeah. And because he doesn't I go out, because agree. he scores nine or ten points a night and doesn't really deviate from that. I mean, he had. I think. Right. The one the one memorable thing about him in 2016 for me was he had uh, a big game, I believe, late in the year. They were struggling and scrapping to try to get that tournament bid. And who came into town? It was it was someone who was high up in the conference standings. One been a Wisconsin, might have been a Maryland. And he came out and he scored 18, 20 points. And he's that's an anomaly from him. So because mm-hmm. he doesn't get that kind of offensive performance every single night, fans are willing to, oh, he's just a, he's just a guy who could have been more. He plays kick butt defense and and really is maybe you know what top four or five important guys on this team. Hundred yeah. and I think to answer your question, I think at least in the games they've played so far, they drop one or two of those matchups if he's not playing. Because you look at Purdue, absolutely, yeah. Reason they won Purdue is because Matt McQuaid said Carson Edwards, I'm locking you up this entire game. Hindsight's right. Nebraska. Tw- hindsight's twenty twenty, but. I think he is he is more important than people will let on. He is extremely important. And and moving on to Tino's next follow-up question after that, he asks, or he says, Izzo recruited this guy as a lights-out shooter, and that's not what he's been in his career. Why do you think this is? And we kind of touched on that, but the, the last part is the most important. And what does it say, if anything, about Izzo's recruiting? And a, a big point that I want to touch on with this is uh, a, a, much, a big recruit, I believe a five-star recruit, um, he was fielded offers from Duke, Michigan State. Four star was fielded offers and decided to go to Washington. I believe it was. Oh, you're talking uh, Isaiah Edwards. Yeah. Oh, so that was kind of probably what brought this on. Is- I think that was a. I think I think a lot of his was more directed at Matt McQuaid, and he did kind of ask, "Is that a little bit of a stretch to link Matt McQuaid to Izzo's recruiting?" And then for me, with this recruit going somewhere else, I just thought I'd attach that onto this. Trent, what Trent said makes sense. You don't know if the guy. People don't pan out. Five star players don't mm-hmm. always play like well, five star players. The, the thing is, situations matter too. You know, it's it's not always about who who or just the player you are. It's about the situation. If you get you know you get your opportunity, things like that, that all comes into play. So yeah, yeah, and I, I think it's it less for me on Matt McQuaid and that being about Izzo's recruiting. I definitely think that these are guys that Izzo likes to have, and you're seeing it now. Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson were both very great, very talented players, but it's not necessarily where Izzo makes his money. It's building up players, a guy like Cassius Winston, who coming in playing with Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson wasn't the most highly touted guy. He wasn't the scorer he is now, and he has developed into a better player. His basketball IQ is higher, and now Michigan State's one of the top teams in the nation. And I think that's kind of where he makes his money is with players who aren't the biggest stars. I think this would be less of a big deal if McQuaid shot seven or eight threes a game and was still making 42% because then, you know, the numbers go up and everything's everything mm-hmm. on the outside. I think people get swayed quite often by, oh, he had this many points. It's, it's, 
He's efficient. He's efficient. But 42% is 42%. He is. He is. He does a great job. And Matt McQuaid has been a solid player for the Spartans. But those are our questions from the Twitter sphere. Moving on as we get set to end out the show. Previewing the next game that uh, myself and Kyle Turk, along with Joey Ellis, will be in attendance for Michigan State. Going on the road, traveling to Indiana to take on Purdue for the second time this year. The two teams last met earlier on January 8th with a big win for Michigan State, 77-59 to uh, in the Breslin Center. Uh, Purdue last season, 30-7 and overall, 15-3 and in the Big Ten. Ended up losing in the Sweet 16 to three-seeded Texas Tech, 78-65. to This year, they're 13-6, and 6-2 and overall in the Big Ten couple of guys to watch. You know their names. Guard Carson Edwards, 24.7 points a night. Ryan Klein, his backcourt mate, 12.4 points per game for him. And and for me, Purdue is a one-man band. It's Carson Edwards right. and his jolly crew of people he brings in with him. And you slow down Edwards as Michigan State did in their first matchup, and you, you can pretty much make everyone else try and beat you. Right, seven of the last eight, but the, the common denominator in all those pretty much is Edwards has his game. If if they can get him going, it obviously tilts the scales a little differently. But can you really trust him against Matt McQuaid for 40 minutes? And if, if McQuaid puts in that same kind of defensive performance, maybe he scores one or two more buckets if you're Edwards. You still like this MSU in the, in the matchup. Yeah, it, it, you, you nailed it. It's going to come down to Matt McQuaid and even Cassius Winston, you know, on some switches or whatnot. It's just going to be containing Carson Edwards. It's a one-man band, as you said, Julian. It's just going to come down to that. But like I said, I... I, I don't like playing Purdue, never do. I think the Spartans will pull this one out just because I think Spartans are by far the better team, and they're deeper, and they're just more athletic, better defensively, but I don't think it's going to be an easy route by any means. Yeah, I think everyone can agree with that. You're traveling to Purdue. They're going to be ready. Edwards is going to want some revenge after getting the clamps put on him by Matt McQuaid. This is one I think a lot of people have been waiting for Michigan State to drop a game. This game could be interesting. Either way, Julian Mitchell, Kyle Turk, Joey Ellis, the three of us will be there. You can check us out on the call, 88.9 FM in your uh, Lansing area. You want to tune in to hear us talk. Otherwise, the game is broadcasted on CBS. Tip-off is set for 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Game Sunday, January 27th. No predictions this week? So the thing with the predictions is with winter break, we got very behind in the points and keeping track. And, you know, so much has just been going on. The work bo- work can always be done on that front. It, it can be. It can I, be. So maybe we'll, we'll bring them back for the next episode. Well, you, I, well, well, we can, I, you want to make your prediction I'm now? on the record 70-63 MSU wins. Okay. I think it's – Here we go. I'm just – you can write that down, put it wherever you want. That's just where I'm at. I mean, you got MSU 76-63? Yeah, because uh, MSU last few weeks, even on the road, they can sit there and they can just run and run and score and – I think this is because I only say 63 because I expect Purdue to keep it kind of close in that range. But uh, the way they've been playing offensively, they've been in a solid point. Uh, you look in their last few games, uh, 84, win- 84 points in a win at Wisconsin, 89 points against Rutgers at home. They can still score. Well, I'm I'm going to go a little bit higher. I'm going to say Michigan State 80, Purdue 72. I think Purdue might make a run late. I think Michigan State will be in the in the driver's seat for most of the game. We'll see. Uh, but I, I I honestly I don't think the Spartans will have a whole lot of trouble scoring in this one. So I'm going 80, 72 Spartans on top. Yeah, I'm 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 with Trent on this one a little bit higher for Michigan State. Michigan State at 80, 68 for Purdue in this one. 
Uh, either way, I think Michigan State goes out, gets the win on the road. They keep it moving, and we'll get ready for some tougher games down the road and get prepared for the, the game that is definitely on the horizon for Michigan. But either way, Michigan State traveling to Purdue, tip off at 1 p.m. Listen to us on 88.9 FM. Well, you didn't, we've, we've, we've almost buried the lead. Remember that this is the giant show. This is the giant green and white report going oh into it first. Oh, my goodness, yeah. We didn't even think about that. I'm, I'm, I'm slapping my forehead right didn't now. Didn't think about it. The, so, here we go. We all know college this, game this day. This is the breaking news. College game day is high-key kind of whack if we're really talking about it. But what we have, starting out on this Sunday, our own relatively college game day, but a new spin. Green and white report will come on at 11 a.m. Sunday, as always. Run from 11 to 12. They do their first hour of the show. Or they'll do an hour and a half to 12.30. They're going into overtime. And then... Guess who's going to get the call-in? Julian Mitchell, Kyle Turk, Joey Ellis from Purdue. Live call-in on the Green and White Report, making it a little two-hour special for you, leading up to the broadcast of the Purdue basketball game with Joey Ellis and myself on the call. So tune in to 88.9 FM at 11. Get your Green and White Report with Ryan Rabinowitz. My man Trent Bally is making his big hosting I gotta tell debut. You, I'm, I'm very honored to be filling in for Julian. I got to say. I'm very honored. Collins will be there too. Hey, Ryan Collins. I mean, I don't really like the kid, but he's going to be there. <laughs> this, like, if, okay, if you're listening to the show still, just right now, set off set off your block of time from about 11 a.m. to maybe 3 p.m. Yeah, about three. It's going to be great. Hey, it's on be Sunday, good. just sit back, relax, have the radio on, don't do anything else. That's right. We've We're, got it. We from, got you. from top to bottom. We've got it. We got it. We got it. Check us out. We'll have all the content, calls throughout the day. Articles right after. Make sure to check the site. Stay on your station. But guys, this is it. I uh, think we've we finished it up. Season six, episode eleven. History is done. We're, we've taken care of it. History is done. But thanks everyone for listening in. Remember to subscribe on iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a like. Make sure to stay on Impact Sports eighty nine FM slash Sports for all your content. And we'll see you next time.